Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Everybody, it's great to be back with you. My name is Bryce Ferguson. This is Into the Word, and it has been about four weeks since we've talked through Genesis or connected about the book of Genesis, which is what we're doing. This series is exegetically going through verse by verse from start to finish, from the beginning, the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, the beginning of the Bible through the book of Genesis. And as we read God's story together, we realize the magnificence of God's story, that this is God's story. The Bible is about God's story. It's not about man's story. This is about God's story, God's glory, God's proclamation of who he is to all of the universe, all of known creation, all planets, but namely our planet, to all the spiritual beings, this is God's story about God's glory. And God's love, his intense love for mankind, that we might repent of our sin, repent of our pride, and trust in him. God's invitation is for us to follow him. Jesus came to earth and he said, follow me that those who love me must deny themselves, which is pride, denying your pride, denying your sin, and following him. Take up your cross. That's an illustrative expression. That Jesus came to die on the cross or to die to what we would choose to live for other than God. To take up our cross daily, or also to say, to be like Christ, to speak as Christ spoke, to live as Christ lived, to love as Christ loved, and to follow him. This is God's invitation to all people. This is the story of Genesis. This is the story of the whole Bible. And this is God's call to us. Let's open in prayer. And then we will pick up where we left off in Genesis, at Genesis chapter 11. Dear Lord God, the creator who is all about your glory, because your glory is what all of creation was for. All of creation was created to tell your story, to proclaim your glory to the rest of creation to worship you, to esteem you, to love you and to honor you, to repent to you, to believe in you, to put our faith and our hope in you. We can only come to you 
because you have called us, because you have reached out to us, because you have reached down to us, because you have initiated love to us, because you call us to repentance, because you call us to change the trajectory of our life, to stop living for our own pride, to stop living for our own desires, to stop living for our own quote-unquote plan for our lives and to turn away from that. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, to turn away from the devil's temptation to be like another God. To turn away from that temptation and to say, no, I am going to trust the Lord God and I am going to live for the Lord God. And I'm going to speak in a way as to honor the Lord God. And I'm going to live with my hands and my feet and my body in action to honor and proclaim the Lord God. By your power, may we do this, God. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. A number of weeks ago, we left off the first part of Genesis chapter 11, and you folks will probably remember at the Tower of Babel. Let me just give you a Cliff Notes refresher at the Tower of Babel because we pick up in the second half of Genesis 11 today. The Tower of Babel begins chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And here's the clincher. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Pause real quick. That is what God's proclamation was after the flood, was that the people were to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth, so as to populate the earth, so as to have dominion over the earth. This was God's calling to man. To be faithful to him, to be in a love, personal relationship, worshiping the Lord, and to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And we see opposition directly from the people here. In verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves, the people said, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, they had turned around from the mission of God, from the calling of God. They had gone 180 degrees opposite of that. Verse 5, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. See, God knows that there is a unity that is good when you are united in the Lord as a church, as a body of believers or believers over this, the whole face of the earth that Jesus Christ is the great uniter, that God, the Father in the Old Testament, is the great uniter, the same God, the Trinitarian God of the Bible, unites us in him. And this is the type of unity that is good when you are united in love, 
and gentleness and peace and patience and kindness. This is good. But God knows that there is a bad type of unity also. Unity can be bad when you are united in opposition to the Lord. This is what we see happening a lot right now in our culture. Now in the summer of 2023, we're a few days into summer, back on June 21st, and the seasons are changing again. And the changing of the seasons again is affirmation of God's loving kindness to mankind. God says that the sun will rise each day and set each day in a faithful rhythm that God has established as the creator until the given time, in the end times. And that's when God changes things a bit, and that's when God calls his people home to be with him forever in a love relationship and loving kindness that is all about God's glory and all about God's story and God's amazing, patient, loving kindness invites us in to the family of God. If we will follow him. But there is great danger in being united in opposition to God. Chapter 11, verse 7, God says, Come, let us go down. Come, let us, the Trinitarian God of the Bible is speaking, go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. See, they were united primarily in speech. How do we communicate? We communicate primarily through speech. And that gives strength to our unity, either good or bad. God says he's going to confuse it. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. See, God's call, again, post-flood, was okay. Now repopulate the earth. Go, be dispersed. Go, therefore, have dominion over all the earth. The people said no. And God said, I'm now going to disperse you myself. Essentially by force. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. See, God's will will be carried out one way or another. But he chooses and he invites mankind to be a part of it. He sets forth this call to mankind. Will you obey me in this? Will you obey me in this? Will you obey me in this? My way is the best way because my way is loving kindness to you. Because I am the creator God of all things. I know what is the best way, God says. And I want you to obey me. God says over and over and over and over again in scripture, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So will we obey God? The call to the people then is the same call to the people today. It's the same call to you right now while you're listening to this. Will you obey God? Will you follow 
God, will you deny yourself? This is a struggle, folks, that I must face every single day and you must face every single day. Will I deny myself, my desires, the sinful desires that swell up in me, will I deny those to instead glorify God with my life, with my mind, with my heart, with my body, with all that I am, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is God's call to each one of us. And we are a living testimony to the Lord when we choose to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that requires us to put to death or to deny the sinful desires in us or the temptation to stray from the will of God. But we must. Because there is one path that leads to life and the other path leads to death. Now we pick it up today in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood, and Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Selah. Shelah, excuse me, and Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Yes, descendants still lived a very long time, but it was a little shorter than before the flood. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. After Eber lived, and Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarug. And Ru lived after he fathered Salug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, this is notable. This is twice as long as almost all of the other descendants before him in this section, before he had children. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So descendant lines of the family. We don't see a lot of description here about these different characters, characters, these different people in the line of Abram, but we do recognize now Abram's name, Abram to later become Abraham, or the father of many nations, as we know it in the faith. But descendant lines within the people, within the lines, all of these have a living testimony. We've talked about this before. Your family line has a living testimony 
either of faith in God, either of goodness, of holiness, of being set apart for the work of God, or for other reasons. Your family line either testifies to loving kindness and patience and repentance and humility, or the opposite of that, pride, arrogance, anger, strife, jealousy, all sorts of immorality. Your choices every single day will either affirm the living testimony that you want your family to have in loving kindness and gentleness and humility and self-control, self-discipline, patience, perseverance, faith, hope, love, or your choices each day can have a detrimental effect against those things. It's fascinating when you read about the generations of the people, namely in Genesis, and the first section here in Genesis, the first 10, 11 chapters, cover many, 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 many generations. We're talking about thousands of years. And then the next section of Genesis that we're about to get into slows this down. It's almost like a macro versus micro um, view on family lines, on the lives of people. So we've had the broad overview aspects of it. As we tell God's story, but we tell it from a very large chronological period of time. And now we're going to slow it way down. We're going to look intimately into the lives of the people in the line of the family of God. As God calls them. As God chooses them. God is a God who chooses. God is a God who initiates. God is a God who calls them out from where they have been and gives them a new identity in him. And this is what God does for each one of us in the family of God. Let's keep reading. Verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So Abram's brother died while their father had settled in the land of Ur. Said Haran died. This would have been his brother. Abram had had two brothers at this point, Nehor and Haran. Ur was an ancient city. It was not a godly city, that's for sure. In fact, it was a pagan city. Ur of the Chaldeans. And if you look at, uh, depending on your Bible and your resources, 
you may have a rudimentary map of what has been unearthed in the excavation of this ancient city of Ur. It is in modern-day Iraq. And Ur was just off of the Euphrates River. We recognize that from the description of the Garden of Eden, which was surrounded by four rivers. Not to say that it was in the same area as the Garden of Eden, but it did border the Euphrates River at the least. Ur was also marked by a ziggurat. A ziggurat was a temple mount. This is how it's often thought of. I believe I mentioned this when we talked about the Tower of Babel. This is ziggurats were used in multiple areas across the world, including the Aztecs and the Mayans, I believe, as well. Of course, that's in a completely different time period than what we're talking about now on different continents. But the ziggurat is how it was thought that the Tower of Babel was constructed. This was a temple mount to a pagan god, is what ziggurats were. And interestingly enough, across, I believe it was Mesopotamia, the different cities had ziggurats to the primary god for that city, i.e. each large city had a ziggurat or a temple mount that was built specifically to honor that city's deity. So different cities had different deities, or to say, different gods. And the ziggurat was built to honor that god. And the pagan priests would go up the temple to the highest point on the mount to offer sacrifices to their city god. And in Ur, the name of the god was Nona. We have here... Uh, bear with me just a second here. The moon god Nana. Uh, Nana, sorry, I said Nona. It's Nana. This is where Abram was born, in Ur. This is the culture that he grew up in. We have no reason to believe that there was any godliness in this city. But there was a pattern of paganism. And this, and this was true across, again, this is kind of an echo of the Tower of Babel. That men were called to dis be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. That men were called to worship God and to be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. And we see descendants, descendants, descendants. Then the Tower of Babel incident. And then descendants, descendants, descendants again. And then the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, or the city of Ur of the Chaldeans. And again, it is pagan. Again, it is a ziggurat to a pagan god. Let's pick it up in verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, because Haran had died. This was his grandson. And Sarai, his daughter-in-law, who had married Abram. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came 
to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So Terah is the patriarch of this family, Abram's father. And, it, and scripture seems to indicate here that the intentional journey, the intentional destination was to take his family from this place, from Ur, all the way to Canaan. But for some unknown reason, they stopped in Haran. And it wasn't just a stopover, and I've read that perhaps it was just that Terah died, and that's why they stopped there. And perhaps that was the reason. But it says that they settled there here in the ESV, and that makes me think that this was more intentional, and this was for a longer period of time than just for the death of Terah in this place. So let's talk about Haran. Haran was actually along a popular route from Babylon to Mesopotamia. It's in modern-day Turkey today near the Syrian border. And it was a major trading city along the route from Babylon to Mesopotamia. It was later considered to be on the western end of the Silk Road. It was near a river, I believe it's a, a large body of water, which provided a great location considering this is all, this is all very arid part of the earth in the Middle East. It's basically the desert, and it's better than wandering around in the middle of the desert where there's no water. So this provided a very good location to either visit, conduct business, or really to live, considering the surrounding desert area. And what else do we know about Haran? Well, this from Bible Gateway, they said that in ancient times and until about the 11th century AD, Haran was the center of successive forms of the worship of Sin, the moon god. Another moon god. So we had Nana in one city, and now we have a completely different area and a different moon god. It was successively ruled by Zoroastrians, Nestorian Christians, Muslims, and Crusaders. That, again, was from Bible Gateway. So Abram comes out of this, these two cities, these two areas, this two... This was his whole upbringing. This was everything that he had known. This was, his, this was a life of Terah. This was a life of his whole family. From his brothers, his nephew, this was the community, this was the culture, this was the society that they were familiar with. This, this was the, the faith system that they were familiar with. A pagan heritage. And this is when we read for the first time, God speaks directly to the man Abram. God doesn't come to his brothers he doesn't come to speak to his father, Terah. He didn't come to speak to Terah's father. God chooses and God chooses Abram. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house 
to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. (laughs) Not only is this the first time God speaks to Abram, but listen to what he says. I'm sure you've read it before, but listen to it again. This is so amazing and so powerful. He says, go from your country. In other words, get up, leave, go. Go, I'm calling you out from the pagan heritage, from the pagan lifestyle, from that geographical location. Go. Or you could look at it another way. Follow me out of your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Folks, who is going to do it? Who is going to do the work? God is going to do the work. Who is going to lead him out? God is going to lead him out. Who is going to pull him from his kindred, from his father's house, from the way that he was raised, from the way that he was taught to believe most likely in paganism? God is going to do that. God says, I will bless you. That I will bless those who bless you, rather, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And he knew all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's saying, essentially, I'm going to be with you. Follow me. I'm going to be with you. That I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. So I'm going to be with you. We're going to be together. It's an invitation to be together. That no longer would Abram need to dwell in despair or loneliness or isolation or depression or feeling that what is the purpose to life? Like, is it just that this city has its own God and there's a temple mount and that we conduct business for a while and then we die and there's no hope? And then I travel over to this city and this city has its own temple mount to its own different God. And that each city is just to have its own God and that there's not really any purpose to life. And maybe the body is separate from the spirit and and the mind is separate from the heart and that there's all these different paganisms and these different philosophies and that, you know, people are really just left to their own devices and there's no hope and there's no hope and there's no hope. No, it is in all of this. God comes to Abram and he says, follow me. There is a reason to life. God says, the reason to life is to be with me. I am the reason to life. And I want to be with you. And I want you to be with me. Abraham, in this, has now a new purpose in life. And what is that? In verse 1, he says it's to follow him. 
It's to follow God, rather. He has a new land or a new home, and that is to be following God and where God calls him to go. God gives him a new identity. What's his new identity? His new identity is in God. It sounds so simple because it's in God. It's by God. It's to God. And yet, is it easy? No, it's not always easy. In fact, why is it not always easy? Because God says it's going to take your whole will. You have to surrender your whole will or rather your personal desires. You have to surrender your life, your desires, your personal desires, your former ways of faith or the, or the way that you thought about faith or thought about religion. You have to surrender all of this. You have to surrender all of your pride to God. And God says, when you do that, I will give you a new identity in me. And what else do we see here? God gives him a new mission. What is his mission? To make his own name great? Is Abraham's mission, is Abram right now, before his name is changed by God, is Abram's mission to make a, a lot of money and have successful businesses in the eyes of the world and to populate the earth and all of his kids to be radically successful and to wear the most fashionable clothes and to just be on the cover of every single magazine in the world? No, none of that. What does it say in verse three? God says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And here it is, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, part of God's call to Abram is for Abram to bless other people. And this is carried out in a multitude of different ways. But namely, it is in Abram being called to faith in God, to change the trajectory of his life and Sarai's life. And then their children's lives, i.e. their family line is taking a radical shift toward God. To do that which all people were called to do after the flood, Noah and his sons were called to fill the earth again with faith and worship to God and to fill the earth. They were called to worship God. And what happened? Well, I think some did and some didn't. And then as people were spread out over the face of the earth, or some people refused to spread out over the face of the earth in disobedience to God, that there was paganism again. There was disobedience to God. There was opposition to God. There were people who did not want to worship God, who wanted to worship themselves instead in pride and build temple mounts to their own pride and opposition to God, saying that if God floods the earth again, which God had already promised that he would never do, but if God did, that we could survive God's judgment. 
because they opposed God. They would rather do everything that they could for their own name's sake, rather than humble themselves before the Lord to worship the Lord. And our purpose in life here on earth is to turn from our sin, to repent from our sin, turn away from our sin, turn away from our pride, and give glory to God. How does Abram respond to this encounter from the Lord? Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. That's powerful. And Lot went with him, his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And we'll stop there in verse 4 for today. How did Abram respond to God's word to him, to God's calling to him? God calls him out from everything that he's ever known. From a lifestyle of paganism, from a lifestyle of disobedience. He calls him out. And by all accounts here in verse 4, Abram immediately responds in faith. He believed God and he obeyed God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And Abram believes God and Abram obeys God. And that's powerful. And we're going to continue in chapter 12 next week as we continue to see that the family goes with Abram and they journey forth in obedience to God. God calls all of us to follow him. Despite our background, despite our upbringing, despite if we grew up in a believing family or not, despite if we've ever gone to church or not, despite if we have gone to church or gone to different churches and had a bad experience of what we thought that God was, or if we thought that Christians were supposed to act in a certain way and then a Christian was acted critically toward us or or we got offended by something that a Christian said before. And just because they said that they were a Christian, now we assume all Christians are like that. Therefore, I'm not, I'm not going to have anything to do with God. Despite all of that, God still calls us to repent of our sin, to trust in Jesus, and to follow him. And you might think that nothing in your life really changes. And you might get into a pattern where you feel like every single day is the same and it becomes a bit of too much of a routine. That it becomes droll. It becomes a grind. It becomes something that you have to do, but nothing anymore that you enjoy doing. And perhaps you wonder what is the point of what I'm doing each day? If each day continues to feel the same, 
or I'm struggling in different areas or people are breaking off their relationships with me or, or the relationships in my life are getting strained because of different matters, strife, anger, jealousy, depression, death, disease, illness, whatever it is. And what's the point? Is the point in life really just to, to live and to make money and to perhaps get married or have a, have a child or have multiple children and then just teach them to do the same thing? To get raised up and to be married and to have children and to live and then you die and that's it, then what is the point? I have really good news for you. There is a point. There is a point to all of this. And God is calling you today to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus and life will never be the same. And if you're missing joy, everlasting joy that reverberates in the undercurrents of your life every single day, despite your circumstances, perhaps finances get tight, perhaps you lose your job, perhaps your job is not going how you wish that it would, perhaps the relationships in your life are strained, you still have an undercurrent of joy in your life in God. You have a faith and a hope in God that is living and it's active because God is living and active because his word is living and active. And as we read his word, we are affirmed in the Holy Spirit about the living and active, proactive nature of our God. That God does not rest, but God proactively pursues his children who believe in him. Male and female alike, God actively pursues us because our God is active. Our God is the God who has created all things and he loves you at an incredible level, at a level that you will not experience from anyone on earth. You might trick yourself into believing that there is someone on earth who could love you like God and there is no one on earth who could love you like God. Now, we as Christians are to exemplify the type of love that God has for us in our love for one another. But God's love is far and away above and beyond anything, any way that you could be loved by another human being on earth. Because God is so far above anyone else on earth. God created you. God saves you for those who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus and follow him. And God sustains you every single day of your life on earth. You don't have to trust in yourself anymore. God takes that burden off of you. You don't just have to will yourself harder in your own identity and say, I'm just going to try harder for me to achieve this and to achieve that in my life. No, 
you don't have to do it on your own strength anymore. You can rest in God's strength and in God's ability. That your faith is not for yourself to be the most successful you on earth and to make a great name for yourself anymore. That's not it. Your desire becomes for God's name to be great on this earth. For you to live a life of worship and affirmation of God and God's glory. That God's testimony would be great in this earth. That the great commission, that the story of Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying on a cross for our sin, and being resurrected back to the right hand of God the Father, or what we call the gospel, would be made great in this earth. And that it's not so much about our names anymore. This is what God does for us. God calls us out from the world to give us a new purpose to follow him. To give us a new home in the family of God. To give us a new identity in God. We don't have to rely on or establish or count on or be subject to our own identity anymore. God is going to give us a new eternal identity in him. And God gives us a new mission to worship him and in the great commission to go therefore into all the nations or be dispersed over the face of all the earth, if you will, Remarkable how Jesus echoes that same call from God all the way back here at the start of Genesis. Go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have in God. And God gives us a hope that is secure. Everything else will fall by the wayside. Everything else is temporary. Everything else will either burn at the end of this life or just fall away. But our hope and our relationship and our faith in God will last forever in eternity. This is the call of God to you. And this is the call of God to all people. His invitation is open to all. And there is still time, while it's still called today, to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Loving God incredibly loving God, the one who sees us and knows us, the one who knows when we feel like life has lost a lot of its meaning because it feels so routine or because we've had what we would call bad circumstances or negative circumstances or the people around us are getting sick or they're dying or they're struggling to get by or we're struggling to get by. And the beautiful facade 
that we grew up thinking about life or career or just how we wanted to be successful starts tarnishing and diminishing. But God, your call to us is the same. And your call to us is to have a new identity in you and to have a new purpose in you and to be living for something completely different when we're transformed by the love of God. When we're transformed by Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one and only, the Savior. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive claim of yours. And it's true. And there is no other way. And we are transformed by the Holy Spirit to live in a way that glorifies you, God, and loves other people. And our mission is not to make a name for ourselves because our mission is your mission. And that's a story about God's glory and about your love for mankind. And we are all about your glory. And then when we lay our head on the pillow at night, we rest. We rest with peace. We can sleep. We can sleep soundly because we don't have to live in the same anxieties and the depression and that of the world. And I'm not saying that some of us don't struggle with anxiety and depression. I'm saying that our hope and our faith and our trust is in you. And that's why you came and that's your desire. And let that be now our desire as well. Each new day, every single day, to put our faith and our hope and our trust in you. Because in you, it rests secure. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue with the story of Abraham in Genesis 12.